so today we can talk about um, your Substack and the posts about Chinese fandom because um, I know people are always curious and it's hard to find information, you know, in English. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, let's see. Well, so I have Idol Burning and YN, your name. And we can talk about BL, fanfiction, really whatever you're, whatever you'd like. Yeah, I feel like this will be a fun conversation. <laughs> I hope so. I barely speak to people about these kind of topics just because, like you said, there aren't that many English coverage or any kind of media exposure um, about fandom, especially fandoms in Asia and fandoms in China. And that's why I started um, my Substack, Active Falls, is because I needed an outlet because um, everything I was observing that was happening around me, I, I had to make sure that I wasn't the only one seeing this. Like I felt like I was going crazy because everything that's happening is very significant, but no one seems to be commenting on it. So I was like, why not? I, I got to step up <laughs> and talk about it. So yeah, I'm glad you appreciated it because I, I really find someone that's interested in this. No, the posts are so interesting. And I think especially now that we have, you know, The Untamed yeah. and Word of Honor. Sold on The Untamed. I, I love how you, you're so passionate about it. <laughs> Because I myself was once also very into it. <laughs> I loved the series. I was like insanely obsessed with it for like two months in summer 2019, was it? Yeah, that was 20. It came out in 2019, but I think I found it in 2020, probably along with other people stuck in the pandemic. That would be a different experience. I wonder how that makes a difference because I was watching, I was following it live. I knew about it before it came out um, because I'm a sort of a BL connoisseur. Like I know, <laughs> <laughs> I know every single um, BL related, like BL's kind of works in East Asia kind of. So I knew about um, the show and I knew both of the lead actors so I was expecting it and enjoyed it with a bunch of my friends online. What, what do you think about it as like someone who's um, sort of missed the hype of it? Because I think the height of it was 2019, the summer of it. That was where the craze happened. I wonder how that makes a difference on, on you. you. You missed out on that bit. Well, it's interesting because I... I found it because of a. Um, I was reading so much BTS fan fiction, and yeah. some of those writers switched to writing untamed fan fiction. Yeah. So that's how I sort of came to it. The um, Wei Wuxian and Lan Wangji character fan fiction, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah. That that's that's a weird, not weird, but that's an interesting parallel that you went from BTS to um, <laughs> to Untamed. I think there's a lot of that, but um, maybe before we really start talking about the Untamed, because <laughs> I could talk a lot about that. Um, let's start the episode with a song. I don't know if you have anything in particular you wanted to play. Um. Because I'm recently very into Tomorrow Back Together, um, BTS's juniors. Um, I'm sort of, I enter the fandom 
like a few months ago and I've been just listening to them non-stop but I I I don't have any preference you can start oh okay so I'll put in something yeah dealer's choice of tomorrow by together do you call them txt or is yeah. that just yeah okay. txt two like people call them different names in different countries I feel like it's, they're, they're they're it's all okay yeah <laughs> okay well I'll put that in here Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the Idol Cast. And I am here today with a special guest um, who she writes about Chinese fandom and all sorts of other things on her Substack, which is how I found her. But um, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Hi. Um, I'm very happy to be here. I'm Emily. Um, I'm a, currently a freelance writer based in London, and I have a substack called Active Faults where I write about Chinese fandom and the entertainment industry. Yeah, and there's not all that much writing about it, so we're lucky to have you. <laughs> oh, thanks. I'm honored to be here. I'm excited to talk about it to people, um, except, for, like, I mean, besides me writing into a void... <laughs> Um, I would love to have conversations with people about this. This is a great opportunity. Sometimes it feels like that on the internet. You just write into a void. Exactly. So I love any kind of interaction on um, my Substack page. And I was excited when I got your DM. So here we are. Woohoo. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's, um, I don't know where is a good place to start. Do you want to talk about um, maybe how you got interested in fandom or... Yeah, um, yeah, okay. yeah, you can start with that. Um, so I've always been a fan of something since like teenage years. Um, 
my just a side note, my first fandom experience is probably Sherlock Holmes and John Watson. That was where I started. It's a very weird um, anecdote, but did you ship them? Yes, <laughs> yes, I did. There was there was not a single soul on the Chinese internet at that time who didn't ship them. Um, I'm talking about B- the BBC Sherlock show, by the way. That was yeah, yeah. a huge hit um, in China, circa like 2012. So yeah, everybody was hardcore shipping them. So I got into fandom with that, and then um, I was always sort of in and out of different fandoms at different points in my life. Uh, I only started to seriously consider it as a um, as a topic of discussion uh, when I was doing my master's degree. So that was a, a very serious degree about social sciences and social development. But when I was coming up with my dissertation title and the, the proposal of it, I didn't have the enough time to consider what I was going to write. So as a joke, basically, I I pitched to my supervisor um, the idol reality show that I was watching at the time, Produce Camp which is basically like The Voice, but is more like selecting idols to debut as a boy group. And I was looking at all of these fandom behaviors that were really interesting. And I pitched it as a joke. My supervisor was really on board with it. He was like, it sounds super interesting. No one has ever done research on fandom in that way. And he's like, just go for it. So I got myself into that situation. Um, I did my dissertation on fandom, um, looking at doll threads and browsing the internet, collecting data, talking to fans. And yeah, and that got me into seriously examining fandom from an academic point of view. And I thought that was very interesting. So, um, and after that, I considered doing a PhD on communications with a in- research interest um, and on Chinese fandom, that plan fell through and I had to, like I said before, like I needed an outlet um, to express what I thought about fandom and what I thought was paramount for people to see that were like interesting phenomenons that were happening in fandom. So I founded the Substack and yeah, that's the... That's the backstory. Yeah, from hobby to academic interest and now hobby as academic interest, I guess. (laughs) That's a great summary. Yeah. So it used to be a very personal thing. Like, I I always thought that was a private um, experience. Like, I'm just, oh, it's not nothing significant. I'm just a fan of my, um, when I'm not in school, when I'm not working on stuff. It's like a private leisure entertainment sort of thing. And then it sort of, branched out to become this professional thing that I work on. Um, so yeah, now it's a mixture of both. I'm I, I'm using the techniques I learn in social science that sort of like reflects on my own position as a fan, as well as an academic writing about it. Like I, I would describe myself as an ACA fan, um, which is a combination of academic and fan. And yeah, I think it's a good position to be in because it gives me um, a perspective on both sides of the world. And when you were doing your research, did you find anything in uh, K-pop fan studies or did you look at other Western fan studies? Yeah, um, a lot of, I would say the current fan study uh, discipline is very much uh, still based on Western scholars' point of views. And 
for in terms of East Asian fandom studies, a lot of the studies are actually they revolve around K-pop, just because it's the most um, prominent manifestation, the prominent demonstration of fandom at the moment. So yeah, I read a lot about K-pop and just Western fan studies. I mean, uh, I actually I, I was emailing with. The, kind of the founding fathers of fandom studies. I don't know if you know about him, Henry Jenkins. Um, he he's written this book called um, Textual Poachers, which is I think the first academic writing that describes fans as like academic discipline, fandom cultures. I strongly recommend it. It's very interesting, very readable. Um, but then the study, the case study that he was working on was on like Star Wars fandom and Star Trek fandom. And he also worked on like slash fiction, which is basically BL. Um, he was the one that basically studied BL seriously for the first time. So yeah, I read a lot about his work and his juniors, like Matthew Hills, like a bunch of other fan scholars that were um, succeeding Henry Jenkins. And also I read a few, um, not a few, I read bunch of like I, my uh, dissertation's like appendix was the same amount like it was the same <laughs> word length as my actual writing so I wrote like 10,000 words for my actual dissertation and my appendix was bibliography was also 10,000 words <laughs> I read just way too much stuff and yeah I read lots of uh, like East Asian fan studies like k-pop Japanese pop yeah that does sound interesting I'm kind of jealous you got to do all that reading <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been a really uh, rewarding summer. I had the best time of my life writing dissertation, <laughs> which is a very unpopular opinion, I feel like. Everybody hated their dissertations, but I thoroughly enjoyed every single second because it was something that I was interested in and I felt really personally connected to the topic. So I had fun, yeah. I mean, because I've done a lot of reading over the years and in yeah, there are there are a lot of similarities because people are the same, you know, all over the world. Like at the very core, like we all, you know, we're all human. We all have the same kinds of emotions, but there are definite differences between like a Kirk Spock or um, Sherlock Watson. Yes. And, you know, how those are sort of written and, and played out in well, America or Britain. And then when you move over to East Asia, Japan, Korea, China, um, now Thailand. Um, oh, yeah. And, wow. Yeah, because one of the things I've always said or have said for years is you can, when you're reading in English, fan fiction in English, for some of these East Asian fandoms, you can tell automatically when somebody is coming from writing for anime when somebody is coming from writing for um, like uh, like supernatural RPF, you know, oh, and when, supernatural. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I remember those days. Yeah, yeah, and then there's also a difference. I think people coming from like BL, so you yeah. have um, you know a lot of people writing in English from like the Philippines may have a more sort of Asian, traditional, girls' culture, BL style of writing than, um, you know, an, an American writing a coffee shop AU or a college AU. There's this, these subtle differences in how the characters interact and the kinds of thi- the kinds of stories that they tell. Yeah, I totally agree with that because um, I'm 
it's very interesting because I I'm currently in a fandom that's based on a Korean boy group, but I read um, fan fiction posted on Archive of Our Own that's written in English by English speaking fans of that Korean K-pop group. So it's very, yeah, like you said, you can definitely tell the differences between, um, you can see how it might be written by Western writers or it might have been written by other like non-Western writers. And yeah, I I haven't really, I I don't have a point here, but I'm just pointing (laughs) out that I've noticed this and I might need to talk about it in a future newsletter issue, but... Yeah. Oh, yeah, that would be interesting because... You I'm know, it's... down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quick. <laughs> yeah, because especially if you read in um, Chinese as well, I'm sure there are local differences between, you know, maybe American-born Chinese writers and um, people writing in Taiwan or in mainland China. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to point out, like, this funny thing that I, I noticed, like a pattern I noticed, because... The fan fiction um, that I'm currently reading a lot about, like they're featuring conversations between Korean boys. And you would think that they talk in Korean, but it when it's the when the fiction is written in English or written in Chinese, they somehow try to emulate the the ways that uh, Korean would sound like, but in a different language. Do you know what I if you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. But sometimes they don't try at all and so it reads it sometimes just, it's like it's just it sounds like they're like frat boys you know <laughs> <laughs> like, in like a college frat and like yeah. use like gen z lingos that koreans would never ever use but it's yeah it's very interesting sometimes they they completely just abandon the attempts of trying to um like emulate it but sometimes they try really really hard to um, make it sound like Korean and that's also kind of bizarre when you read it. Yeah, especially when you read it in English. It It's, yeah, because I, I haven't read any TXT um, mm. fiction, but I read a lot of BTS fan fiction. So, and I think they're probably pretty similar. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I would say so because a lot of TXT writers also write, they came from um, BTS fandom and now BTS is on sort of a semi-hiatus. They, they, they've come to TXE. So yeah, I've I've by association I've read a lot of BTS fanfiction as well. Just because there's such um they have close connections, the two groups. Yeah, and there's a lot of good writers out there too, that's for sure. Oh yeah. I think some of them deserves to be like published authors, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's even a line in YN that says something like that. I'll have to flip through the book to find it. Um yeah, so I don't know if you wanna pivot to talking about um, the archive of our own and what happened in China? Yes. So that was my, um, I wrote a piece for Chaoyang Trap about this specific incident. Um, I was Christian Yan, who you've spoken to, and I listened to that episode as well, even though I don't know anything about indie rock, but I just, (laughs) I was listening to that. It was fun. Um, yeah, Christian, Christian invited me to talk about this Archive of Our Own incident because of how significant it was in um, in China, like in just in the online world per se. It wasn't even um, a fandom thing anymore. It wasn't exclusively 
um, relevant to fans. It was a very wide-ranging um, social event, I would say. Oh, wait, um, let's just, for people that aren't familiar, so we've mentioned it a few times, The Untamed was a 2019 BL drama that aired in mainland China and then got picked up by Netflix, which is how I think a lot of Americans and other Westerners saw it. Um, and it starred, um, oh gosh, I'm going to butcher their names. So Wang Yibo, former idol, played Lan Wanji, and then Xiao Zhang uh, played Wei Wuxian, and they were sort of almost... Th- it was like BL, but not BL enough to pass the the censors. But I think people shipped both the characters and then um, the actors as well. Which, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Continue. Yeah. So that was a that was a good intro. Um, yes, and you're right in saying that there were people who shipped both the characters and the actual actors, and I think that speaks to maybe like the underlying um like the source of the problem really because most people um started by watching a show and appreciating their um how do i say like homosociality you know it wasn't really homosexism it was kind of that it was sort of hinted but on the surface it appears that they were just really good friends you know (laughs) they were just very (laughs) bros yeah it's the very much the you're my adopted brother trope exactly you're like my soulmate but in a very platonic soulmate way (laughs) it was kind of like that so a lot of people didn't have a problem with that because even they were shippers shipping they were just basically shipping the people inside the show as someone who is like they were shipping the characters not the actual actors and then after the show sort of experienced an explosive success there were more and more shippers who were actually shipping Xiao Zhan and Wang Yibo themselves and that's where the debate slash like struggle or like war (laughs) kind of started like the fan war started so the a shipper of Xiao Zhan and Wang Yibo they posted uh they written and they posted a piece of fan fiction featuring the actors themselves not the characters they the fiction was written about the actors um which basically features Xiao Zhan as a cross-dressing prostitute and Wang Yibo was the customer that was at his place of work (laughs) (laughs) trying really hard to use correct terms to describe what happened Um, yeah for people unfamiliar with fan fiction i I think that's a good description yes yes um so yes a cross-dressing um sort of non-binary character and it's called uh by the way it's called falling and it's now one of the most uh widely read i think it has like thousands and thousands of views on um archive because people were just really curious about it yeah they posted the fiction on there um and Xiao Zhan's fans weren't happy with the with the fiction simply because he the the portrayal of him as someone who's non-binary and someone who is a sex worker really they thought that they they thought that the fiction it was it was disrespectful to him it diminished him uh, it, it sort of ridicule, like ridiculed him, and they weren't happy with it. So, in retaliation, they 
uh, filed complaints to the, I think it's the China's Cyberspace Administration. It's kind of an, an authority, basically, uh, an authority that uh, oversees all of the internet activities in China. They reported the website to the authority, which resulted in um, archive being banned by uh, China's firewall. And it was basically, the server went down. So this was February 2020. And the day that the server went down was the 27th of February. And from then onwards, this whole drama, this whole um, sort of showdown is called um, 227, the solidarity of 227. <laughs> um, and it's a hashtag that you can find on Weibo. Um, and people are still furious about the fact that um, Xiao Zhan's fans were just very selfish and they basically used, they used sort of the report, they reported the website out of their own ego and out of their own ends and resulted in millions of fans from other fandoms who were enjoying, previously enjoying archive as a space of communication, as a space of creative freedom, be, that being banned. So, and Still, up until this point, I think there's still an ongoing boycott of Xiao Zhan and Xiao Zhan's fans online. People were uh, very adamant on not buying any Xiao Zhan endorsed uh, products in any sort of industry. So he he is famously known for his endorsements for like I don't know um, just ramen and um, loads of skincare products and. Uh, like household items. So he he was a, the brand ambassadors for a lot of brands and the boycotters were basically saying, I will buy something else. I will not support your work. And I basically, I don't want to see your face anywhere. So it's just a massive outrage um, that follows suit the the outage of archive as because archive is, I think um, is a very it's a, it's a website that has a cultural significance in fandom as someone who's I discovered that when I was in my Sherlock era um, like years and years ago and yeah people really treated it as like a holy grail of creative freedom and yeah, it, people really hailed it as this symbol of expression. Well, it's it's donor supported um, and there's no there's no advertisements or anything like that nobody's making money from yeah. archive of our own it's all run on donations yeah because of that it's a uh, it symbolizes the purest form of um, fan devotion right like we we know that we're all we're all fans here and we are gathered here because we love characters or people who are be just beautiful people that we love and we want to create because of that and it's very simple it's very utopian but Xiao Zhan's fans decided to take that away from everybody in China and I would also want to say like the the timing of the incident also made a huge difference um, because it was in the middle of like, I think that was when the COVID pandemic really started to become um, uncontrollable and people were highly anxious about the situation um, in China and just the general mood of society at that time made people extra angry like just more and more angry 
and it sort of erupted in the form of boycotting Xiaozhan. And and also because everybody had too much time on their on on their hands now because everybody was in indoors, um, and people were just very very angry. Interesting about the story is just that you know the fans, his fans, caused so so much trouble for everybody. Yeah, yeah, and it's um, at least among my friend group at the time when this was happening, because it feels I feel like Wang Yibo he he handled his fans so much better in, in a lot of ways, and it's kind of interesting to see you know fans fans are all different and and fans of different groups or different actors i mean a lot of that comes from the person themselves and you know are they hands-on are they hands-off do you have like the fandom leaders that can um tell people to you know cool it you know ignore this and it'll go away or do you have these sort of hyper vigilant fans who are (laughs) ready to fight over everything and because I, I see it on Twitter and sometimes even YouTube and stuff like that where fans, if they don't like something, they'll mass report or mass, um, you know, try to get the person banned or taken down or sometimes they can ruin things for everybody too. You know, take a, a site, a reactor site or some, you know, somebody that does reactions, get them taken down just because they don't like one video. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. Fans can be quite selfish. <laughs> Yeah, and I totally agree with what you said about like when you compare it with Wang Yibo's fandom, because a lot of people, um, the reason why they were angry with Xiao, is because of how badly he handled the whole situation. Like he was, I'm pretty sure he was silent for like two weeks after the incident without any sort of statement. He didn't. He did not address the anything. Um, I mean, even like the national newspapers reported the incident and called him out. Like there were commentaries on newspapers and magazines, and I'm pretty sure there was a GQ um, op-ed talking about it. And he just did not say anything. He was completely silent, and he didn't come out or intervene or try to stop his fans from being just batshit crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he didn't do I, anything. I'm I'm a fan of shiny as anyone who's listened to more than one episode will know. But um, yeah, the I feel like the shiny members are quite good at shutting down this kind of thing. And I think it's Minho who has said that, you know, fans are a reflection of the idol, um, yeah. you know, and to keep that in mind when you're, you know, behave in a way that that would make, make him look good. You know, that's, that should be the goal is to behave in a way that makes the idol look good. Yeah, I love Minho. He he is he's so cute. Um, so handsome. <laughs> I I would say I think 
I don't want to put everything down to an age difference, but I want to say like a lot of third or second generation K-pop groups or like just like just in general older celebrities can have that sort of um, not sense of justice, but that kind of awareness of mm. their fans are capable of and their role of responsibility and in terms of guiding the fans i don't want to say guiding us no i think guiding is, is yeah, okay like sort of um yeah guiding being leading leading rather than being led because i think some of these idols and and actors get into problems when they let the fans lead them because what fans want is not always what's best for us <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I think I think Xiao definitely he learned his mistake now. I think he he definitely saw how crazy everybody was, and I think since then I'm I'm seeing signs of him trying to regulate his fans a bit more. Um, but back then, like he 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 did the worst PR um, strategy ever. I think that was just such a bad example of how that kind of thing should be handled. Um, and like you said, I think Wang Yibo has a, is a very interesting comparison because he's always been very clear in terms of drawing a boundary, right? He was always saying, like, I mind my own business, you mind your business. Like, I think he was a lot clearer when it comes to um, sort of segregating his professional life at something that's that shouldn't be directed by the fans. Mm, yeah, yeah, no, I, th- I think you're right. And I, I don't know if it's just because of you know, their own personal careers and where they began. I mean, maybe just the, the Korean system is just a lot better adapted for that. But but then again, I, I know plenty of K-pop fans <laughs> who've behaved just as badly. I mean, I, I think, you know, if, if you're having to explain death threats to TV hosts on late night television, um, that's that's never a good thing. Yeah. I think that's something that I always want to get across in my newsletter is that fandom is a very, you can never make generalizations in fandom. It's always case by case. Mm. I think Wang Yibo's case is is different to Xiao Zhan, but not necessarily because of his K-pop background. Because as you said, like K-pop um, idols can be very horrible at dealing with that sort of thing as well so you you, you never really know I, I don't think you can you can have a sweeping conclusion about um this kind of thing and yeah 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 that was definitely an interesting interesting time um it, it even crossed over into english media um mm. but I, I feel like those articles most of them were pretty confused about <laughs> about a lot of things yeah, as usual. I mean, as usual. Most, most English articles about China are just so, so, it was filled with misinformation, you know? Like, they would write something, and I would read it, and I would be like, no one said that. Like, <laughs> no one had an opinion like that. They would be like, oh, the majority of the Chinese netizens believe blah, blah. And I'm like, no, that's <laughs> not what we believe in. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, in this is a good um, lead into the other big incident, um, which I, this one I did follow in real time, which was um, Word of Honor. Um, I, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the, <laughs> the title. <laughs> yes, Word of Honor. Yeah. Shanghe Ling. Um, 
。问教是比谁高，几分身世浮沉难预料。问路问成山水迢迢，知音何处人寂寥？问雨问清醒是多少？浮名月暮无语朝朝。问花问叶夜色正好，人生欢乐苦短几春宵。Um, that was with, uh, gosh, Zhang Zehan、um, yes. and Gongjun,、yes. both of whom I follow on Instagram. They're very charming. Ch- very charming. A lot of golf. A lot of golf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>、um, but yeah, that one was. That one, I think,、uh, they tried to be a little more explicit that it was a, a romance and、mm. not just sort of this. Homosocial bonding, but a little bit more of a romance in that one. Yeah, yeah, and I—I I mean, I—I I also watched it. There was, there was,、um, it was fun times as well. I, I have a specific group of friends who, like, we always watch. We always sample BL content together, like globe globally. This is not even just Chinese BL, but we watch、um, like Japanese BL, like Thai shows, just、uh, just yeah, any kind of BL content we sort of watch together with. And yeah, just I don't know if this is a good point to bring this up. I feel like a lot of the fandom experience is is the connection that you have with other people. I think the sense of community that you have with other friends, and you've also mentioned that you have a friends who you like talk to about these kind of things. I think this is very much neglected in、uh, fandom studies.、Um, I think it's the it's the communal experience and the connection that you have with people that's also that constitute a huge part of the the. The daily practices of being a fan. Yeah, well, actually, that's、um, so. The novel Idol Burning, that's、mm. a big part of that novel, as well as as the main character and her group of of friends that she updates her blog and. Yeah, I found that pretty realistic. That was such a surprising read. I found out、um, that there was this book about fandom. And I immediately got it. Like that was astonishing to see how like books on fandom are actually being written, and there are people interested in this. Read, bought it, read it, really liked it.、Um, yeah, it was definitely a part of that. What was I? What was I going? Oh, Word of Honor. Yeah, because、yes. that also <laughs> had the internet drama that I think people would enjoy hearing explained. <laughs> Uh yeah, so <laughs> this is a hard one to explain. Yes,、uh, it, this one was really confusing when it happened because,、uh, again, I had followed the drama in real time, and so then I was following these actors on Instagram and you know seeing the news stories and everything, and then it was like,、uh, yeah, just like catastrophe. Catastrophe, and I I agree that it was a catastrophe, and also I think. The the reason behind why like the reason behind the confusion is because it happened so quickly, like the his Zhang Zhihan、um, and Gong Jun's like their rise to fame was so sudden and it was like such an like an overnight thing and equally the fall of Zhang Zhihan was overnight as well so he was propped up like a god in like the span of a month or so. As the show was playing, and he was literally brought down within the span of like maybe two or three days, from like having millions of followers on Weibo to being like 
his account basically suspended within two days. It just happened very, very quickly. Um, and which which explains why people were very confused because he just literally went from a superstar to a nobody. Yeah, he was just gone. Yeah, he's just gone. He's completely... You can't even search him on Weibo now. I think his name is sort of banned on Weibo. Um, it's, it's sort of... It's not banned, but it's, it has like a soft block to it. Um, people... You, you rarely get um, his information on Chinese social media now because he's sort of banished and exiled from China, which is quite sad. Um, so basically, the situation is he became very famous because of the show. He had a lot of young female fans. The the female fan is very similar to what happened with um, Untamed and the fandom of Xiao Zhan and Wang Yibo in a sense that camps were formed. So there were very um, distinct differentiation between the solo stands of Zhang Zhehan and the solo stands of Gong Jun. So the two sides were constantly fighting already as the show was airing. Um, and some fans, I don't want to point fingers, but I highly suspect that um, I think it's the fans of Gong Jun. Um, but I'm not making an, an accusation here. I don't want to be, I don't want like Gong Jun fans to come knock on my doors and say that I, I'm like slandering them. But <laughs> I, some it's, fans, it's a theory, it's a hypothesis. It's a theory, it's a hypothesis. Um, so some fans found very old um, photos of Zhang uh, in Japan at a very controversial uh, worship site that uh, basically held um, ceremonies that worship Japanese soldiers who died in World War II. And it's a very controversial site. It's, it's always been a very controversial thing. It's a very touchy subject in uh, China because of our very complicated uh, Sino-Japanese relationships. Um. But I'll also add, um, I've I've been, you know, I, the shrine's in Tokyo, and you can just walk past it. It's yeah. in the middle of a neighborhood. It's it's not like you have to go somewhere out of your way, very far away. And it's, I mean, it's pretty central. It's in a neighborhood. I walk past it going to um, a restaurant to meet some friends. So it's, you know... It's there in the middle of the city. I think it's pretty easy to to take a picture with that in the background and not be aware. Uh, yeah, so basically he, he was there. Uh, he took photos there and uh, Chinese netizens found it and basically just sort of got angry over the fact that he was possibly paying a visit to the shrine. Um, that was a no-go. It, it, it was a political mind zone. And he came out to explain that he, he, he he's, he's very nationalistic, like he loves the country and he would never do something like that. But it was already too late um, because more photos were uncovered. Um, I think he was at a wedding of a friend that was held in, that was also held in Japan. I, I, I actually don't remember the details of this, but it was several different um, spottings of him in shrines um, for different occasions. Like he was there to visit as a tourist and he was also there for a wedding and he was meeting with Japanese people that were sort of associated with the shrine as well. So there were multiple allegations of him being non-nationalistic. They, they were saying that he was anti-China. 
and people's daily caught on to it like again national media caught on and condemned his behavior he apologized um made a statement about it but like i said it was too late so he basically got canceled big time um in china so he's now communicating with his fans on instagram um i think he is currently like just laying low and he's spending time with his family. I'm pretty sure I saw a photo of him and his mom on a beach somewhere. I think he was just uh, yeah. his fan. Was it on Instagram? Was it posted? Yeah, that's yeah. Just I, all I see is him playing golf on Instagram. He's a massive golf fan, which is so weird because he's at the age. Um, of being a golf enthusiast just yet. But yes, uh, he is now exiled. Um, and I've written about him uh, in a recent issue on Active Faults. If anyone who wants to read more about this in details, you can... Yeah, I'll, I'll link I'll link everything um, Yeah, in the show notes. But yeah, but, and it's interesting too, this is some, so many similar echoes to the other story of fans in order to protect their favorite kind of just going to war and going scorched earth basically and and saying you know we're just gonna take this guy down <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah exactly it was it's very brutal out there it's a mm -hmm. it's it's a lot more um competitive and like cutthroat business than you think it is and i think sometimes fans can be very over dramatic with the uh with the wars so to speak yeah, and it, I mean, sometimes I think it's almost better if these things don't get too popular in the mainstream, yes. because then I, I think it leads to, I, I don't know, I think it can lead to problems when when these fandom things become too public. You know, some of this stuff should just be kept online. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and definitely in the case that we just talked about, um, both The Untamed and Word of Honor sort of became too mainstream. And the result of that is actually a ban on all BL dramas in China. I don't, I don't know if you heard about it. Yeah, yeah, because I was looking forward to the adaptation of the other novel by the um, the author who wrote The Untamed. Untamed, yeah. Are you thinking about um, Tianguan Sifu, the one where yeah I'm, I'm pretty sure you're thinking about the same one that i'm thinking of about the god who comes down yeah. yes 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 yeah. yeah 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 it's the one that was due to come out right mm. after honor yeah I, I think around the same year um i think it was due to come out last year 2022 but yeah the the result of the Zhang Zhehan incident sort of indirectly directly led to this ban on all kinds of BL drama that was um, devastating to Chinese BL yeah. fans um, and also fans abroad um, who enjoy watching Chinese BL <laughs> yeah yeah I mean it's such a good um, I mean soft power in a way um, I mean that's what K-pop has done all these years but I mean I, I guess China doesn't want that to be its its uh, image abroad. All these ladies coming over learning Mandarin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, China is like we we're never um, very we don't play an emphasis we don't place an emphasis on soft power as much as Japan or Korea does, and that's infuriating a lot of Chinese people. I think people are noticing how Korea and Japan are much better at promoting themselves uh, through these kind of cultural exports. 
Um, but China is just not big on that. Like we're very big on establishing the narrative where we're very, you know, we're, we're aggressive and like it's all those those wolf warrior movies, you know, like you, all of those like war films and uh, like nationalism. Like we're very big on that, but we don't want that image abroad. So yeah, it's very. I, I, I don't know. I don't want to comment too much on that just because it's a very sensitive issue. No, of course, of course. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm thinking of, you know, a country like Korea or um, Taiwan, you know, when, when they have those, um, you know, visit the, I'm just thinking of the visit Taiwan advertisements um, with starring F4 and then Fahrenheit and, um, you know, the, Fahrenheit. Oh, they're so good. <laughs> but they were very good. Yeah, they had different kinds of scandals. Um, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, secret families and children. And then, um, yeah, one of the members actually came out as uh, gay. Gay, like gay allegations. Like they were asking him whether he dated his bandmate. Um. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. But yeah, but the, the it's a very soft feminine um the the visit taiwan ads i think were pretty much aimed at like japanese like japanese women Mm -hmm. like come with your friends go shopping eat food come to taiwan but yeah again sensitive topics we won't uh, won't talk too much about that There's a very weird segment on, not weird, but it has a weird, weird name on The Economist. It's called The Drum Tower. I don't know if you know about that. It's like, it's a podcast talking about China. I, I love how all of these um, podcasts on China loves to name themselves like this, like The Drum Tower. <laughs> it's just, it's, um, it's just, just really random names that it's just very superficially Chinese and they they made no effort to explore like you know other parts of Chinese culture other than like shrimp quackers and <laughs> it's a drum tower <laughs> I mean I guess it could be worse yeah um, fortune I don't know cookie. yeah fortune cookie <laughs> things they're that not, aren't even Chinese <laughs> exactly they're not even eaten in China <laughs> hmm but I, I think in some way that, um, you know, the ban on the, the BL dramas coming from China opened the door for all of fandom to sort of switch over and watch um, Cherry Magic and then Kieta Hatsukoi, yeah. um, which I think in English is My Love Mix-Up. I think yeah. that's the English title. I love them both. I, I really enjoy them. They were massive hits in China. Again, they I think... 
a lot of people sort of rechanneled their previous love on Chinese BL, exactly like you said, to like devote themselves to BL abroad as sort of like a last resort because we don't have anything good on mainland right now. So we're looking towards um, other, uh, yeah, sources of BL. Yeah, yeah. And I guess we were lucky that Japan was was listening because um, I, I think there'd been a slow kind of more mainstreaming of these dramas because um, I mean there was always anime and and yeah. things like that but Cherry Magic um, and then Kieta Hatsukoi I mean they both had well Kieta Hatsukoi had Johnny's actors um, which was pretty um, pretty significant I think very significant they were um, both casting very uh, familiar faces um, I think the lead, or oh, I, I don't know, the uh, romanization of the lead in uh, My Love Mishap. Uh, Alki? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think he was also already very well known because he was an idol. Um, I think both of them were kind of well known. Or Ida was um, Meguro Ren from Snowman. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And then Alki was uh, Michieda Shunsuke from uh, Naniwa Denshi. And they and so they timed the debut with the drama, which is interesting um, for a BL drama. Yeah, I was surprised at that as well. I, I thought yeah. they they wouldn't want any kind of association with the BL drama. They wouldn't really promote it. But yeah, they were pretty open about it. Yeah, and um, I guess it was 20, uh, 20 oh Gosh, I'm gonna is either twenty eleven or twenty twelve. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, Kiss My Foot 2, when they debuted, it was tied up with a drama. And um, Fujigaya and Tamamori were both, two of the members were both in this drama, but it was a, it was a drama based on a K-drama, and it was, um, you know, heterosexual, regular, yeah. um, regular drama. But yeah, yeah th- th- but I, th- I think it just shows kind of how mainstream BL has become if even Johnny's actors are doing it. And also, I think they the uh, the consequence of them mainstreaming it is them downplaying the the the, the raciness of the drama. If you know, what I, mean. I feel like they're 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 making it very family friendly, and they didn't feature any kind of kissing scene or um, like not not even like a fraction of the level of raciness that a Thai BL would have. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not even anywhere close to what Thailand are do- what, what Thailand is doing with yeah. their dramas, and I think that was the main point of contention in China. I think a lot of Chinese fans were just very pissed off at the fact that they were no kiss at all in both of these dramas. Um, yeah, they were they were very chaste. They were very chaste and they were very vanilla and people weren't happy about it. Um, I think I most of my um, Weibo feed featured like just massive like waves of complaints of people being like, how the F are they not kissing at this point? Like, why 
are they like just holding hands and just hugging like they should the plot would have been so much more um, cohesive if you added a kiss scene here um, yeah people were complaining about it yeah and because I've read I haven't read the whole manga but I've read the manga for both a few volumes um, and yeah the the manga contains much more uh, kissing and, and that kind of thing <laughs> Yeah, and an adaptation of it. I think you're right. And in terms of mainstreaming it, when they adapt, when they were adapting it, they really wanted to be something that's just very safe, and which led to this whole sort of what would you play like downplaying of the sexual tension of the <laughs> characters. Mm. Yeah, and and some of that, of course, is just the the taste of the mainstream. Um, not even the the sort of homosexual elements, but just. I mean, mainstream Japanese dramas are also fairly chaste, even today. Yes. Yeah. Which is why I was so surprised when I watched um, the film that you recommended, The Mouse. Oh, yes. Yes, I watched it last night and I was mind blown. Like there were so many sex scenes in there. (laughs) Yes, I loved it. And and I've watched it a few times and um, I have the manga for that as well. And it's so good. And... It's very, very different to what other Japanese BL dramas slash films are like. Yeah, it's um, a lot more, it's a lot more like how a Japanese like BL manga can be with, yeah. you know, sort of shades, a lot of shades of gray and sort of this, the tension between the, the main characters, one of whom, again, is a, a Johnny's actor, which, mm-hmm. you know, you I don't think you would have seen that necessarily 10 years ago no i'm not you know with um japanese entertainment as much uh yeah so the um gosh i don't remember the character's names but um kanjani aids okura is the sort of the main the main character in that playing the salary man yeah this oh i loved his um i loved his face (laughs) there's there's no other way to put it i really i think he's so attractive he's so handsome yeah so handsome, and I totally see why all of the women are like head over heels for him. But he is, oh, his character is an interesting one. Yeah, I I liked his character a lot because it's you know you see his growth over the the story where he's he starts off just kind of drifting through life. He just does whatever's expected of him, and it doesn't matter. He almost doesn't have any preference at all. If it's anyone asks him something, he's just like, okay, sure, fine. And then he starts expressing just any kind of, of opinion, or, you know, that he, he even just enjoys something, um, just enjoying his life. Um, yeah, and then it sort of leaves you on a, um, a hopeful... I think you call that like a hopeful ending. <laughs> uh, I, I, it's it's definitely an open ending, but it's definitely towards the more hopeful ends. I feel like he he is he definitely has his own character arc. Like he 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 grows and he he is more in depth. Like you can tell the depth of his character really increases throughout the whole film. Like he becomes this really round character um, yeah. that you sometimes sympathize with. Yeah, he becomes a person. Uh, yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, I I enjoyed it too. I think that was some def- definitely very uh, contradictory to what I thought Japanese BL drama would play out. Um, I think that's very similar to My Beautiful Man in a way, 
because I think both of them are sort of outliers in in the Japanese BL scene. Or at least they're outliers to what has sort of become like the, I don't know, could you call it the canon of sort of English language or, or Western, um, or I mean, maybe in China too, the, the canon of, of BL yeah. that fans worldwide are now watching. Um, but... I, I, love, I love the idea of the canon. Yeah. BL canon. <laughs> can- <laughs> I think that'll be the episode title. Yes. BL canon. Oh my God, yes, it should be that. I love the canon. <laughs> The canonical works of the BL My Beautiful Man, I watched the first season um, of that, but my friend, when I told her, I was like, oh my god, I loved it. She's like, well, there's a season two and a movie. <laughs> yes, yes. I was going to tell you as well. I was going to send in an email that um, the movie is out, and apparently it features like loads of um, never seen before like snippets of what their relationship was like. Ooh. Um, they fill in the blanks um, left by season one. Uh, a lot of like little details. They, they basically made the details more uh, vivid and more uh, colorful um, with the movie. So I don't know. I haven't seen that one yet. I, I, I've only seen season one as well. Yeah, I really, really liked it. And I think you're right. It does um, have a lot in common with um, The Mouse Dreams of Cheese. I think that's the English title. Um, weird title. Yeah, it's a very weird title. <laughs> very bad translation, you know. The, the Chinese name is a lot better, I think. Yeah, the Japanese title also makes more sense. Um, but the the characters in that one, so it's two high school students. One of them is just a complete, like, outcast. Star. Oh. Yeah, one is a star and one is, like, an star. outcast. Yeah, this is a very classic pairing in BL, I think. Mm. yeah it's the um it's the absolute like you know the heartthrob of the campus and then someone who's just like a nobody um yeah yeah. the the hottie and the naughty (laughs) exactly oh my god yes that i love that binary the hottie and the naughty um star boy and the nobody just some guy Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I thought it's it's also similar in a way that um, it features someone who is just a total like admirer, like someone who just worships the other person. I think you don't see a lot of that in BL. I would say, like a lot of times, East Asian BL features like two people approaching each other in at an equal pace, and they fall in love at an equal rate. And it rarely features someone who is like 
completely one-sidedly devoted to the other. And I thought that was very interesting. Like, I mean, the star was calling him a stalker. Like, it, it in um, the Mouse Change of Chi, there was, like, dubious consent as well. Like, it just has a lot of darker elements in these Yeah, shows. it does. Maybe you see this more in sort of straight romance, because I know there's um, a Taiwanese drama that they remade in, I think they remade it as a Korean drama, with the girl, she's just desperately in love with um, this guy and hands him like a confession letter and he turns her down, but she still like stalks him all over the place. Yeah, are and you talking about the really, um, the one it's like kind of old show mm. and where the guy just basically insults her all the time. Yeah, but she still follows him around. Yeah, yes. Oh my, I remember that. That traumatized me as a kid. I hated it. Me too. I really hated it. Everybody thought it was cute. I did not think it was cute. It was verbal abuse. (laughs) I really, I couldn't watch it. It was like triggering. Me too. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, that dynamic in these BLs doesn't bother me. (laughs) In fact, I like it. So maybe that's, I needed to understand it through a BL lens to understand why everyone else liked those other ones. And also probably because we are females and maybe watching it in a heterosexual context makes us like we relate to the female character too much too a bit too much. Sort of I can I can definitely for me, I can picture myself being in that circumstance and being just constantly humiliated by this guy. So I was like, no, I'm not gonna watch it. But I think for BL, you you know that my gender has nothing to do with mm. the story and I'm sort of in a safe haven, I'm immune to that world, maybe, I think. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Because we're we're at a remove from it. So we can enjoy the, the dynamic of the characters without any kind of personal identification. We can simply just appreciate it aesthetically as an as a piece of art, rather than like having that, that reminder that we might experience in our lives as well. Mm. Yeah, that that devotion and that longing. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, but that is um the YN that novel. Did you read it? I read it. I read it. It was mind-blowing. I loved it. I really really loved it. And then I listened to an interview with the author and Oh my god, is it the NPR one? Oh, no, I didn't listen to NPR. I listened to a podcast she was on but she said um in the podcast that her favorite novel or one of her favorite novels was kafka's the castle and the main character in that is just k yes and when i heard that i was the whole novel made sense i was like oh this is just the k-pop castle (laughs) oh oh my god right i I need a moment (laughs) i need Hmm. My mind was blown. I was like, oh, okay. Now it all makes sense. That that feels like the last piece of the jigsaw, you know? Right? Yes, exactly. When I heard that, it...
Now that you say it, she is very Kafka in the way that she she writes about the most bizarre and most peculiar, out of the normal things in a very like precise tone. If you know what I mean, like, I think yeah, she, and she, well, but, yeah, I have a theory too. And and well, okay, so maybe just for people who haven't read it, Esther Yee's Y N, or I think you can also read it as Your Name, is a novel that came out. I think this year, um, but it's written in the first person, and she, the the narrator, is this woman who lives in Berlin. Um, she's Korean, um, and falls in love, basically, with um, a K-pop star named Moon, and follows him. Decides to just devote her whole life to him, and moves to Seoul to be closer to him, and then finds him. And yeah, sort of the the last third of the book is basically the castle where she <laughs> where she finds Moon. But yeah, it's it was a really interesting interesting book. I liked it a lot. Me too. You need to send me the link to the podcast, by the way. Yeah, I will. I will. Yeah, I I, I would really love love to hear what she says. I I read um a different interview that she did with NPR, um, where she actually specifically like, sort of came out as someone who is also personally involved in K-pop. I think she said that she is also a fan. And Oh, did she, she say which group? No, which I think is a wise thing. because yeah. <laughs> I have a guess, though. I think, I think she's a Shawal. <laughs> <laughs> you mean like a shiny fan? Yeah. Really? What? Yeah. what- what makes you think that? I don't know. Just the way she described Moon reminded me a lot of, and not not the personality, but just his physical his physical features and the way he dances reminded me of Taemin. Mmm, yeah. I love. He's so talented. Yeah. What did you, What did you think? What was your guess? I, I had a different theory. I thought she, um, the way that she describes it, sounds like EXO. Oh, that's an, that could be. Right. It could, yeah. Because yeah. of the, um, the the numbers of because EXO, you know, their whole concept is the planets. Mm. The the whole the whole group was founded on this like galactical um, concept where they have superpowers and it's about the galaxy and the planets and everything. And also just the way that um, but then I thought it was about EXO, but then the way that she describes the company's building. Do you remember the the um, bit towards the end where she? Yeah. She visits the building in like the middle of nowhere. That reminds me of the Hyde building, which is the BTS, um, BTS's company, mm. which is just this weird piece of architecture on the outskirts of Seoul. Um, that is just yeah, that reminds me of that. Yeah, like, well, well, some of the things I think she must have pulled ele- I think she probably pulled elements from from a lot of different places. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Yeah. yeah. But the um what I thought was so interesting about it was mm. she she wrote about K-pop in a way that I haven't seen anybody write about K-pop mm. because she's not interested in the the nuts and bolts real life you know drama of you know behind the scenes like did you read uh shine the novel that came out no okay it's yeah i mean it's fun but um you know it was written by a a former idol about her time in in an idol group and you know there's characters allegedly based on like members of 2pm and so 
Oh, you need to send me the link to that. I'll send you the link. Yeah, I would too. love to read that. I want the tea. I want to yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I feel like when I see K-pop things, it's usually either something like that, you know, sort of the behind-the-scenes、um, dirt and backstabbing, and and you know, oh, the grind of of. Performing on stage, or、um, you know, in Idol Burning, we had the point of view of a fan, but it the details felt very real. That nitty gritty, you know. Here I am typing my blog about the things my idol did. Yes. But in YN, it was、um, to me what really came across was that sort of spiritual、yeah. element. That you feel as a fan that maybe is harder to put into words, but that the the emotion that you can feel as a fan and、um, just that I don't want to say religious, but I will say spiritual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally see that as well. I that was in one of my notes as well. I actually made pages of notes. Yeah, me too, me too. I have so many, and I had so many、um, lines that I highlighted and. <laughs> Yes, I think I could open up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, as well, it's in my iPad. Yeah, I, I just I opened、map. up. Okay, so I opened up the novel randomly to a page. It landed on seventy nine, and on that page I have underlined the sentence. We also offer a day in the life of being a cocaine addict, which a lot of our clients already are, except that we also take away their cultural magazine subscriptions. <laughs> 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 and then in the in the in the margin, I have you know the the NPR poverty cosplayer <laughs> like exclamation point. <laughs> I I also had a lot of、um, parts of it highlighted just because I think it's just it strikes a balance between、um, literary masterpieces slash. Like it's just a very striking account of a very intensely personal experience, like、mm. like you said, very spiritual thing. But it was also you can tell it was it's a piece of literature, like it's very well written. Yeah, and、um, I I had a, a thought about her writing style too. And to me, when I read it, it read very much like an English novel in translation, which it, it's not. It's not translated from anything, but it read as if it was translated from. Um, Japanese, or or German. or German or something. Yeah, I get you. I totally get it because the way that she, she's very particular with the words that she chooses, it's like she she makes it sound very、oh, like what like strained in a way. I don't know. It's very it's very Kafka. You know. <laughs> Now、yes. that you mention it. I keep making that connection now. Yeah, right. And she she even says in that podcast, I'll definitely send you the link. It was interesting, but she also says that she reads almost exclusively literature in translation. And so I thought, oh, okay, oh, that's the other piece. That's the other piece. Yeah, that that is the other piece. So、and、she she wrote an English novel in in translation into English. <laughs> she she almost wanted us to interpret it as. A kind of translated work in a way. Yeah, I think she did. She she is like creating distance between us, the readers, and the narrator herself. Oh, maybe is that the point of it? Like, is that? Oh my god, is that、I、the narrator、know. trying to? <laughs> we're getting somewhere. We're getting we all the layers. 
Yeah, I think the narrator is. I mean, a lot of it is she talks about her own experience as a fan fiction writer, right? Like she、mm-hmm. wants to write a version of reality that she likes, right? She in her fan fiction, the the YN, like she is the one who knew the idol first, and she created the idol herself by encouraging him to become an idol. So that she flipped it around, like she because normally it's the idol becoming an idol first, and then you become a fan, right? But then. In the fan fiction, she twisted it, so she wants to create the idol herself, and sort of like reclaiming power in a way. I feel like yeah, to be she yeah she creates the idol to become the fan. It, yeah. yeah. Oh, Ooh, that's a mic drop line right there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So is that why? Like, because I think one of my other points I wanted to mention when you were talking about、um, the spiritual connection. Uh, that you see, like in the novel, is that I feel like a lot of the the, the major theme, the 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 overarching theme of it is about identity, and it's about singularity of the relationship between the fan and the and the idol. It's like、oh, it's only me and him. Like it's I'm it's I'm surrendering myself to let you take over my identity, and and I'm also retreating into myself. Because I want to become the same person as you, I want to be you, and you want to be me. Because of like, she wants that privacy with the idol. Is that why like Esther is trying to create their own world without the readers intruding on their world by using language that sounds like it's a translated piece? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but I, I think I think you're right. There must be something of that distance there, or sort of that. Um, or maybe it's just to add to the the sense of remove that this isn't everyday life. We're in another realm. Yeah, that, that's interesting that you mentioned that because I kept thinking、um, there were two points in the novel where I thought, oh, that's I was a bit like I had a whiplash moment from like two distinct points in the novel where it seems too mundane. You remember the bit at the end? I think it's the last chapter. Um, it's about the narrator talking about her visa. Yeah, yeah, and she she had to go to the embassy, but she decided not to go. Yeah, yeah. Such a shocking moment, right? Like it's the whole like previous bits of her just being just completely in like talking about insane stuff, like the asylum, not the asylum. I mean the um、uh, the car- the sa- sanctuary, 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 yeah. yeah. And visiting like this weird ass um company building and like the weird music professor in the Like lightless basement, and then like boom, like visas. You know, <laughs> like the the contrast of it is so interesting. Like、yeah. Dane and how removed she is from it, and then back to the mundane. Yeah, I I also thought it was interesting too,、um, just how the narrator、uh, and I, there are just so many scenes of、um, or image imagery of consumption. And how she—I mean, she wants to eat this idol in a way. I、yeah. mean, she wants to consume him or consume. There, there is that. In when he, she confronts him, finally, sort of at the end. She's been chasing him the whole novel and has him read this story, and that was an interesting scene too. And I, I feel like that's kind of the the fundamental fan problem of you. You have this idol in your head that you've built up. As as YN,、um, and then if you come face to face with them, 
they're not the person in your story, you know? And, and she had that scene and he reads it of like, she, she mixes like the pus from a wound into something and feeds it to him and he eats it. And, and he's reading this story. He's consuming the story of consumption and just puts it down. And it's like, "Mm, no, thanks. (laughs) Yeah. That was, that was also one of my um, most, I think that was one of the most noteworthy scenes for me as well. Like I definitely I re reread that many, many times. Like the bit where they finally meet and the idol is finally reading her stuff. Um, that was yeah, very disconcerting. Like all of the imagery of consumption, as you said, like wanting to become whole with him and like wanting to um just get infinitely close. Mm also feeling disappointed once you reach that point mm. and it's all about the chase as a fan like i think you you also you don't you almost don't want to meet them in a way you don't want your version of them to collapse you don't want that illusion to go away yeah yeah it, because she she's seeking yeah something out of like mythology almost of that merging that unification but it can't happen in real life Exactly, which which is why that that last moment is so anticlimactic. Like the moment when they're reading the novel is so so, um, like all of the build up led to a very significant like dip in terms of the the. the yeah. Feel like it was just very anticlimactic. I was like, that's it. Like, what are you? Nope. There's <laughs> but, nothing to say about it. <laughs> but that's why when I said it was when I heard she loved the castle because that was also unfinished. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. See, the final piece. It's the final piece. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm looking at my notes on that scene as well. I think I wrote down like um, both of them are utterly alone in that moment. I feel like because do you remember the line when Mu was saying um, like he, I think the, the narrator explained what your name means. And Moon said he grew only more confused. If I'm only supposed to replace YN with my own name then is this a story about me interacting with myself? Like, that is such an interesting point, right? Like, I think both of them are utterly alone because Yin is interacting with herself as well because that's her story in her head. Yeah, and I had actually highlighted the line a little bit down. He kept waiting for the story to, quote, get me right, unquote, as if this would prove that he'd conveyed a neat package of selfhood to the public. Yes, and that, that's, that's yeah yeah to, and, and imagine being an idol you know in real life and and looking out and seeing an image you you don't recognize getting reflected back at you yeah I, I mean i feel like that would be especially if you were young and some of these idols are quite young mm. i can see how that would be very i, I can't even imagine how that would feel Mm, yeah, and I have another line that I highlighted, which is very similar to that. It's Moon saying, I am exactly who you think I am. I don't know how to be anyone else. That itself just summarized the entire, like, K-pop industry. Like, I, I'm pretty sure every single K-pop idol felt like that at some point in their career. It's like, who am I without this um, facade that you see every day? Like, you love a version of me that's not even me. And who can they be when their entire life is based on that falsehood? And yeah, I, I'm thinking about um, one member of TXT actually, Yeonjun. He was saying 
he would always be TXT's Yeonjun before he is Yeonjun himself. And that just like that's heartbreaking for me to hear. Like, I think all other all the other fans in the fandom felt like, oh, like that's such a such a cute way of saying that he's dedicating his entire life to us. But I thought that was just heartbreaking, you know? Like he's forever like bound to this identity that he doesn't even it's not even him, you know. We're we're creating it in tandem with him. Yeah. Exactly. Or maybe even we're creating it for him. I think we are creating it for him. I think a lot of it is fans conjuring of an image that has nothing to do with him. Like maybe partly related, but most of it is fandom's creation. Another interesting point. Um, so I'm I'm a big fan of uh, Johnny's and Associates, um, and their idols in the past didn't have. Well, they had some interactions with fans. Obviously, if you went to a, a play or theater production, you could hand in a, a letter and you know, and um, that kind of thing. But they didn't have the sort of interaction with the online fandoms really unless they had secret secret accounts or something but as that's changed and i think the k-pop idols um can be really quite involved and you have all these um even just going back to like fan cafe and and things like that where you're directly interacting online and i don't know i wonder I, i just wonder if it's you know we go too far in one direction or the other direction because um, I saw one of the K-pop reporters said something about how on there's like a paid tier of Weverse now where you could send direct messages and then get direct messages sent to you from the idol um, the last second I was exactly I was thinking about this exactly like I was when you were talking I was like yeah that thing that hype just released yeah very yeah. weird it's very strange, and I, I wonder if if it encouraging that YN desire mm-hmm. to to be so close, you know, like is that really a sustainable business plan, or are we all gonna just burn out? 
I think it's a very viable business plan. I think there will be a lot of people who are um, more than willing to invest in that. But I've also seen fans who are very cautious with it. Like I've seen tweets. Um, I've actually bookmarked some tweets on Twitter because I want to write about it later. It's like fans talking about this very um, worrying parasocial relationship with the idol um, about re-establishing boundaries between the fan and the idol by um, boycotting the service and just not use it because we have our own lives and they have their own lives. Um, I've seen fans on both sides, like people who are very uh, like all for it. And there are also people who are just very cautious because they, like us, like they've noticed how um, this YN thing is getting out of hand. And yeah, it's it's a very interesting debate. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And one of the things I've always been very interested in is the the mental world of the idols. Just, I mean, not to get too depressing, but, you know, we've seen in recent years um, in the, the Korean fandom, um, idols take their own lives we don't know their struggles and it's just you know you you wonder what's best not just for the fans but for mm-hmm. the idols and you know going back to the the spirituality you know or the idea of like fans being happy to tithe or i guess you know pay taxes you know to 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 buy and stream sort of as their payment for supporting this idol versus fueling that that almost cult-like desire we all have within us to just throw ourselves completely um and just in the last episode i recorded (laughs) my guess is choking about you know don't mortgage your house to (laughs) you know (laughs) to to pay to 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 buy things for your idol yeah and you know where that's a real concern you know mm, it is very valid concern like people would be quite crazy yeah yeah and where is that you know for the companies obviously they want to chase as much profit as possible but you know you think it's that they would want to protect both the long-term sustainability of their fans you know aiming for that that feeling closer of like taxation or tithing um to just complete (laughs) <laughs> like moderation mm-hmm. and then the on the idols for the idols mental health i mean you know for all all that these k-pop idols are using mental health as a concept in yeah. their, their comebacks every once in a while you'll see just something so worrying from from an idol and it just breaks your heart we should pay more attention to the idols themselves i think it's getting better um i think when I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm thinking about the interview clips where Key was talking about how when um, John Hyun first committed suicide, they weren't allowed to talk about it in any way. I think you definitely know this more than I do because you are um, part of that fandom. But I think now with what happened with Astro's Moonbin, I think people are openly discussing it and raising awareness of the mental health issues of Korean idols. Fans are being very supportive of idols taking breaks and have time to mourn and have time to go to therapy. I'm pretty sure all of the K-pop groups nowadays, they have psychologists in their like workforce now. I think their team include some kind of counselors or therapists. And I think it is getting better. It's becoming more of a 
more of a mainstream thing to do, like to take care of them mentally. Um, but definitely there's still a long way to go. And I think it's just part of it is just East Asian culture with mental health. And it's such a uh, under discussed topic. It's such a taboo thing that people just don't speak enough. Mm. Well, I think there's probably also different things culturally in the way, you know, like I said, we all have as humans, you know, we all have the same emotions, but I think those are expressed differently in different cultures. And I think Western fans need to be careful too about projecting their own ideas of how these things are supposed to look onto a completely different culture that you have no real familiarity with. There's a there's a really good book actually called Sick Like Us, I think that's the title. And the um the man who wrote it, um one of the case studies he used, it's about the West exporting our mental health problems. And they the one of the um, cases he used was um, anorexia in I want to say Hong Kong and how it didn't exist until it like that that those feelings of um, you know sort of female because it's, it's mostly women um, but that those female like anxieties and, and all that didn't manifest like that until that symptom set was exported I can, <laughs> I can send you the link Please do. I'm, I'm googling it right now. I think it's called "Sick Like Us." I can Google it. It's called "Crazy Like." Crazy us. Like Us. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the globalization of the Amer- American psyche. Yeah, and there's a chapter in there too on Japan and the use of um, antidepressants. That's very interesting. Yes, I'm definitely gonna. My grow. This list of um, things I need to read is just growing as we talk. <laughs> <laughs> do some serious reading I, I love it this is fascinating i'll definitely buy this book yeah 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 no it's a, it's a good book um well I, that's one of the reasons i think i i enjoyed reading your substack so much as i can tell you're not just you're not only pulling from fandom studies and your own personal experience but you know you're pulling from other you, you know at fandom as part of life or being an idol fan as part of life and not just this weird little bubble sub- yeah yeah thanks that's high praise i appreciate that i i that's what i endeavor to do like i really try to do that because i really do think that fandom is a very all sweeping experience it really seeps into different aspects of your life and being a fan is so much more than just like streaming their songs and buying their album it, it's a it's an emotional as well as a social and economical issue that yeah people should pay attention to yeah yeah and i feel like most of the writing i read that takes sort of idols in this area seriously tends to come from an economic point of view so like the financial times usually has pretty good coverage but they're writing from an economic point of view and they're not particularly interested in the spiritual or the the other angles of yeah, it exactly I, I think what you what you said earlier about like taxation i really like that idea of like <laughs> of like being taxed you know i feel like that's a very good metaphor of how just how powerful fanning can be in one's life because it really is like that i really do be like that like it really yeah. gains you in a very real way 
Yeah, there's a handful of groups that it doesn't matter if I like the song or not, if they have a single out or they have a new comeback, I, I may not like the title track, but I will still buy it and watch the you know watch the um performances and watch the the video and sometimes i'll come to really like it um sometimes i won't but (laughs) but yeah it's it's the tax the tax i pay I was just thinking how um, you were talking about a sustainable plan that the company wants to have. I think they want us to be there for as long as possible, which is why they don't drain us in one go. Like they want us to keep investing in incremental, in an incremental fashion that we can just always be there. There will always be new groups coming out. There will always be new songs. They schedule things in a very regimented way. They keep you occupied throughout the whole year without actually leading to a burnout of some sort, just so that it's a sustainable thing. Like you, they want to keep you on the hook for as long as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the, the companies that do that well, and I think SM, yeah, you know, is a good example of that. Just they've been around since the nineties and they've kind of figured out how to, you know, debut groups, sort of space them out um how to schedule things and um and there are certain things that they've tried and failed at <laughs> numerous times like the revolving members they they wanted that revolving member boy group and never got it but <laughs> yeah i think sm is seriously um like it, it is being challenged by hype at the moment hype is doing hype is revolutionizing how working I think yeah absolutely and what I think is interesting about Hybe and one of the things that they've done or have aimed to do since they were big hit is this idea of like the inter the intertextual idols uh, where where you know because BTS had that whole separate universe with the characters where they were they were telling a different story but using their names and I mean it was basically like an official fanfic and um that weaving that into their idol personas so I mean I think there are still fans that confuse the the drama backstory for the members backstory themselves I that's interesting because one of the things I was reading your writings on the idolcast website and Mm. that like what two I wrote down two concepts that I thought was just just so like insightful 
one thing is intertextuality in K-pop. I'm looking at my notes right now. I wrote that down because thinking that that's such a good way of, like, there's such an apt way of describing what is going on in K-pop because it is very, they're trying to um, kind of build and kind of interconnectedness between the idol and other things that are in the fandom. And that interconnectedness really hooks you on it. Like, it really keeps you occupied. Yeah, and they were doing this, you know, long before the West figured it out with, um, you know, things like um, the One Direction, mm. sort of quasi-official shipping and, and that kind of thing. Mm. And how they use different kind of content, like... It's not even just about the album or the songs or the comebacks. It's about their uh, their reality shows, their interviews, and their little like. I'm thinking about like the TXC's fandoms. Like they they have so much content to catch up on if you, if you become a new fan. You know they have like, you know BTS have like Bantan Bantan bombs. You know like these behind the scenes cuts of their everyday lives. They do vlogs and there's just so much content that's all interconnected and the whole um package deal of that gets you like unbelievably involved in 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 the the group or in the in the idol themselves yeah and that's actually the the part of yn that i thought reminded me of hype was when the narrator goes to the company and in just the idea of each comeback is a different, you know, Western philosopher and, and blah, blah, blah. And that just, that, that is the image that BTS has taken up. That's their intertextuality. And there's lots of fans online that that is what they love. They love being able to pick out references and they love making elaborate theories and, and writing these big philosophical treatises. And that's, that is how Hybe has, has hooked them. It's not for them, you know, the music, it doesn't, that, it, that doesn't, doesn't even matter. You know, they want to, they want to read the references. Yeah. Th- this is what I think. It's just so um, intriguing. It's the fact that music becomes sidelined. With the the focus of their entire career, like music itself, it's completely sort of disregarded. Like, because a lot of the um, a lot of the focus right now in K-pop is on merch items, you know, photo cards, right? The photo card industry, c- collecting things, collecting photo cards, collecting postcards, collecting merch, like all, all of that is part of the universe of being a fan of being a K-pop fan, and music is like just it's so <laughs> down the priority list it's yeah, it's not even like the vehicle for all this stuff i mean that that's i, I don't know if you listen to the episode i forget even which one it is but so i saw 17 um at yokohama arena um right before the pandemic actually oh, 17. yeah oh they're so good the, um fourth album is so good and they have um a new comeback that i'm very excited about yeah there's they're very very talented um and when i saw them at yokohama arena um i was really really surprised to walk around outside the venue and i was just you know taking in the atmosphere and there were so many women um and you know teen teenage girls but um with blankets and tarps spread out 
all of their photo cards on display looking to trade. Wow. And yeah, this was clearly just a part of 17 fandom because there are 13 members. So think of how many, you know, photo cards <laughs> there are to collect. But, um, uh, you know, for these fans, it's um, a, a part of the pleasure of fandom is um, it's like being a Pokemon fan yes. or um, Digimon or I, I don't know, one of the like a, you're a card collector, yeah. um, Magic the Gathering or there, there's a lot of um, examples of that in, in uh, subculture. But yeah, I thought it was so interesting that this was a part of the fandom experience for um, for these fans is that they were they were collectors. They were, you know, they were cataloging their cards and they knew which one. Yeah, it was so interesting. Yeah, and they would be exchanging stories about how they found this one card that was very rare. And like, it's a whole thing. It's a very, it's like a little side storyline that develops outside of... Yeah, a side quest. Yeah, it's a side, side quest. quest. Exactly. It's not like, it, it's not like the main thing, the main um, project, the main mission that we're set out to do as K-pop fans. It's like the side thing. <laughs> like, it's a completely, it's mesmerizing. Like, all of the... Um, I remember, like my 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 friend went to the the Singapore concert uh, of TXT, and she was telling me how besides all of these photo cards trading that you talked about, there was also fans who were there just to exchange like homemade merch items, mm. like the fans who were just be manufacturing their own postcards or their own like um, A4 folders, like just they will be manufacturing. They will actually find factories that manufacture these kind of merch items for them and they will just do it out of their own will like because they just like how it looks like they, they like designing it they like um producing it and they would just be handing out like freebies it's called freebies they could just hand out like free stuff like free fandom made idol related merch to other fans at the concert venue they would be like oh this are you a fan of um Yeonjun? like i can give you some photo cards that i made i printed them just to you and i have posters of like whatever like i have posters of taeyeon from txc that i can just give you for free it's, it's a ritual it's definitely there are rituals that are outside of the fandom treadmill that you talk about which i think is so interesting like there, there are rituals outside of comebacks and streamings and digital sales like there are other rituals that are a lot more important mm, yeah i've i've been at um concerts um usually in um asia i don't i guess it's happened a few times in the us as well but um yeah uh, fans will give you um little goodie bags and um i was at a oh my gosh this must have been in 2017 or 2018 i was at a stage play for my favorite idol uh, Kwai fumito from abcz but he was in a um a musical with another johnny's um and uh, Teranishi, who I think he's, I think he's officially still with Johnny's, but he he never debuted. But anyway, um, I I'm you know I I always liked him too. But um, a fan of Teranishi was there and recognized me and gave me a little. She had put together a little freebie at this. You know, we were in a theater for a musical, <laughs> and it was a freebie of I think it was his card that she must have made and um a little packet of instant coffee because it was Tara brand and that's his nickname Tara 
Oh. It was very cute. That is so cute. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's it's um it's special when you get something like that. I always loved it. Yeah, and sometimes I've I've seen fans on Twitter like they were posting like they get cookies from other fans and people will, will bake things and bring it to the concert and just give them out because people would get hungry throughout the whole day. Like they would be queuing outside to get into the venue, and they think that oh like a cookies cookies might must be popular so they just they were baking at home and they would just be bringing it to the concert venue it's just so cute like fans can be like horrible to each other yeah but um so loving and so cute to each other at other times like it's insane yeah 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 it's there there are good and bad things about being a fan for sure oh um have you ever gone to any concerts yourself Oh my god, yeah. I definitely uh I was hindered by COVID. Um my but I used to go to a lot um of concerts and surprisingly enough not that many K-pop concerts. I think when I got into K-pop, um it sort of I was in I was not in Asia at that time. I was in in the UK and not many K-pop groups came to the UK at that time. So um, I saw BTS uh, in 20, I think 18, 2019. Had so much fun. I lost my voice for like two weeks after that. <laughs> me and my me and my friends, we all lost our voice. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was super. It was good times. I I'm going to see TXT very soon next month. I'm going to the US to see them. Oh wow! Uh, where in the U.S.? Dedication. I'm going to Los Angeles because I'm also visiting a friend there. So it'd be cute. I, I'd be going to the concert and also meeting up with my friends. Um, I'm also uh, going to Lollapalooza because <laughs> TXT is gonna be there. Got me Lollapalooza tickets uh, on the East Coast as well. It's, I think it's in August this year. So yeah, I'm living the um, post-pandemic K- K-pop fan life. I'm hoping I'm hoping to do that this year. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I finally went to Japan in um, the end of 2022 when they let you know they were allowing people foreigners back in the country. Um, but I didn't get to go to any concerts. Although I did see ABCZ from the front row. I I got a front row seat to their stage play, and I was so happy Aww. to see them again after three years because I hadn't seen them since 2019. And there there is something about that. Because um, actually, this is an idol burning where she goes to the concert, mm. and that whole section in there I thought was quite good. Um, I think idol burning. I think my, I I don't exactly remember the part that you were talking about in terms of the concert. Yeah, it's the final concert. Um, but she kind of passes it in a daze, um, where it just sort of flows flows over her. I think, but, but yeah, but that experience of going to the concert venue and and having your pen light and. Turning it to to your idol's color and and gosh, I miss that so much. I'm I hopefully I can go this year. Yeah, and I'm just talking about that reminds me. YN also begins with a concert. I think concert mm, is yes an integral part in, in being a fan. Like I think that's how YN got into Moon. Right, it's like at the concert. I think live shows 
have a different aura in terms of like I think the idols have a different aura live. Yeah, it's very different, and um, there's something about being there in person and breathing the same air and seeing them not mediated through a phone screen or a computer screen or and that's actually one of the reasons why I think a lot of the fans who became fans during the pandemic um, and have never had that kind of live experience can be a little uh, I don't know just strange or or something (laughs) I feel like I feel like there's a whole wave of fans that came in during the pandemic that that don't have that um that don't understand what it is to be in the audience. Yeah. I I I echo that. I think I definitely I'm forgetting what it's like to be in the audience. Yes, and I don't like to forget it. I want to remember it. <laughs> no, I I really miss the thrill of like just the entire the build up of it as well. Like days before you would get really excited for it and then traveling there and then getting into the venue like the whole process of it is it's a it's it's a it's a religious experience I want to say it's a religious experience it's like pilgrimage you know (laughs) like yeah no it is and it's a it's I think you're right about the ritual and I think for a lot of us um especially with organized religion in the west anyway really on the decline there are so few things in our life where we do have that kind of ritual of meaning to it that it's it's nice to have that one thing that you know that that does have this ritual element to it yeah definitely it's the whole i mean i have fa- i have friends who are concert fanatics like she goes to see shows like probably a dozen a dozen times a year like she goes to see different people's shows all the time and people get people definitely get high from it like it's a um it's a genuine addiction i would say yeah yeah and it's different with k-pop because it's just on a whole other level (laughs) i think the, the the organized nature of it like you have the same light sticks and you have fan chants and you have like just the whole um the vibe of it is different to western artists yeah because it's it becomes performance of both the audience and the the idols and because i i i think this post is still up on my website um i had to take a lot of pts related things down <laughs> <laughs> but this one i think is still up but i i saw bts in amsterdam and the audience was they were perfectly well behaved as a an audience for a western pop act but as a k-pop audience it just felt very disconcerting it was like being at half a concert because the idols on stage were performing as as if you know there were spaces for fan chants where there were no fan chants and at one point you know one of the members said something that should have made you know the light sticks were supposed to light up around the arena but only maybe a third of people had them so it was like this really kind of damp moment yeah yeah because if you're a fan coming in from the outside as a western pop fan a light stick is just a big souvenir yeah right but if you're a k-pop fan it's part of creating the atmosphere exactly i think 
for a lot of Western fans, a light stick is it's a bit much. You know, it's a, <laughs> there's you you have absolutely no practical use of it outside of the context of concerts. But yeah, so yeah, so I I can understand why you know if especially if you're on a limited budget, um, and some of these light sticks are very expensive. Yeah, I don't think they necessarily have to be that expensive. Yeah, um, this is very poorly designed as well. Oh, some of them are terrible designs. Um, yeah, but if you're and, and this is something you know if you're a fan who's going to go see your favorite band in korea and you're gonna go over to japan and see them there and maybe even go to a show in southeast asia then that light stick that you know you spend fifty dollars or sixty dollars you take that same light stick to seven concerts but if you're only going to one concert yeah really makes sense it doesn't make sense yeah so that's that's something i think western fans unfortunately we pay pay a big price for that It's quite sad because sometimes the idols will get kind of self-conscious when they're playing in the West. They will think that, oh, like there are not that many people who are fans of us and they probably wouldn't really support us. Uh, um, I remember like just TXT, they were before, because they were also, they played at Lollapalooza last year as well. Um, they were the first K-pop group to play that uh, show and they were just so anxious. Like they were really stressed out because they thought no one would be singing along to their songs because it was in a Western context. Um, but I think now with, you know, Blackpink headlining Coachella and BTS being BTS, like they're, they're, the West is becoming familiar with K-pop acts in, in, in concerts. And I think that eases the, the anxiety of the idols themselves in a way. Um, and also maybe hopefully fans would experience better concerts as a result of that like people will be more not cooperative but you know like people will be more into it Mm. yeah yeah i think part of it too is just western audiences are different um and we're less likely to to act in unison I don't know if that makes sense like i think oh yes um, yeah because i so i saw um a winner in Seoul, and I love Winner. <laughs> I'm so jealous. You've seen a lot of K-pop bags. I 
love I love I love Mino. Oh he's so good. I'm so <laughs> sad he's enlisting. He's <laughs> so talented and he's so funny. I've oh seen him in like reality shows and he's hilarious. He's so smart and I really, really well you were in London, you could see his um his art exhibit. Oh, he has an art exhibit? I, I know that he paints, but I didn't know that yeah, he Yeah, he was in he's been in London um a few times I think. Um, really? I'll send you. Yeah, I, I can send you the link for that. Yeah, he. Um, a lot of things. Yeah, it was um, uh, for an art show. Yeah. Oh my god! Yes, I need to. I need to see that then because he is so. Oh, it's it is in London. It's in Saatchi Gallery. Saatchi Gallery is super famous. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's still there, but his paintings were there. Yeah. It was um 2022 October. Wow. He is doing great. Sachi is is not um a, not not a you know it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's living his best life for sure. You saw them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I saw them live, but um, it was you know I had a seat because at the time I wasn't um I I guess at the time I wouldn't have considered myself like mm. an inner circle or anything. So I sat. I deliberately I like sat in the way back so that I wouldn't you know disrupt anything <laughs> <laughs> like not knowing what to do but um yeah it was just very like seeing the crowd everybody knew all the lyrics and you know I did my I did my best um but it, it's just a very different vibe from kind of the the free-for-all you get um at a western concert where because I saw Super M just before the pandemic um in in the u.s and you know even though they didn't have that many songs and a lot of them had a lot of english in them or nonsense words um it like it still felt like i don't know like it was a lot more of just everybody just doing their own thing the the that's an interesting point like westerners are not prone to act in unison i think that um yeah that summarizes china like we love things in unison <laughs> have you seen our olympic opening ceremony <laughs> we love things like to be in exact coordination with each other <laughs> and yeah i think that's that speaks to a lot of that speaks to a key difference between the west and asia i think like it's about the union of people and manpower and being present with others um, and to feel like you are like a whole, you know, like you're you're like a you're you're a whole entity in a way. Yeah, and just fitting in, like yeah, your, your position within within the group and with the group exactly. Yeah, like the idea that like in K-pop you have the maknae, like the youngest member, or like the the idea of like the leader. Mm, the the team spirit, like you wouldn't get that for One Direction, like <laughs> you, yeah. You, you wouldn't be, um, you know, you wouldn't have that sense of unity, I think, for Western, like, I don't know, Fifth Harmony or, like, One Direction, like, Western groups. I mean, like, NSYNC didn't have, like, a leader. Yeah. 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 And they definitely didn't live together. They didn't, you know, they didn't do everything together as much as K-pop groups are doing. Yeah, or they didn't, um, even though k-pop groups don't necessarily live together a lot of them will still that there's that that image of it they they want fans to know that they're really tight and they're like a tight-knit group of um members coming together and it's, it's just not a thing in the west i don't think yeah or not to not to that extent anyway unless it's like 
you know, the Jonas brothers who are actually brothers. Brothers, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Biological brothers. Yeah. So they're kind of stuck with each other. <laughs> yeah, for life. Yeah, I I would love to go see more concert this year as well. I I've, I'm splurging a lot of money on concert this year just because I think is I I really missed it in the pandemic years. I think that speaks to a lot of fans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope we see groups. I know it's very expensive to come and tour. You know, Europe and the U.S. Um, and South America. Um. But I hope I hope we see I hope we see some groups. Yeah, and I mean the I think in when groups are um, performing that like intensely, there are fans who are just they 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 get swept along with it. You know, there are fans who are following them around just everywhere. Like they will go to every stop of the concert. They were just that de- that dedicated. And they will follow their... I think that was just very interesting um, to see because there are fans who are living as if they are the idols. Mm. Yeah, go, going from tour to tour, or tour stop to tour stop, yeah. Yeah, I think quite a few fans do that. I mean, um, I've certainly gone to multiple shows. Um, and and there are groups, too, that organize, um, in, especially in places like Southeast Asia, where they'll have like an organized tour group of, you know, this many 14 people or something will go all together. And it's such a uh, peculiar thing to see because it's as if they are becoming the idols. And it's and also it's different because in Korea, I think a lot of Korean based, um, like local based fans they will be going to music shows as well. Yes. They have the same schedule as the idol themselves. They will be going to music shows and they will travel with them to the next workplace or so. And then they will go to fan signs. And then they will go to like, you know, everything that they do mirrors what the idol does. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I do think the domestic fan experience is very, very different from the foreign fan and I think unless you, uh, yeah, I just think it's very different. Um, even even as K-pop becomes more global, I think it is still very, there are things that are still very domestic about it that we'll just never, as foreigners, we'll just never be able to participate in. You know, maybe we can go to one music show, but we can't go see all the music shows. Uh, like day in, day out. Like yeah. We- do that because and also the language barrier is another layer of complexity to it right yes and this is something that i i don't think it's discussed enough but you know a lot of fans as k-pop has become more popular you know they're they're consuming lyrics translated into you know english japanese um chinese um and there's a remove there and we're we're getting it secondhand and depending on who's doing the translating you know you may get something that's overly literal or where the the translator is adding her own interpretation to it exactly and and we're further and further removed from the idol themselves the more barriers we get like we're geographically separated from them and we're also linguistically 
removed from the idols. I mean, the crazy thing is, like, I saw this tweet on my timeline just now. Like, it's it's um the eight, you know, the eight from seventeen. Oh, yeah, I love him. Chinese idol, yeah. He's currently in a Chinese reality show, and a Korean fan of the eight posted the clip of him in that Chinese show with Chinese subtitles in Korean, and another fan translated that from Korean to English. And it shows, and it showed up on my feed, <laughs> and it was just like mind blowing, right? Like I, I clicked on the video and it's in Chinese, and I was like, I don't need any of these subtitles, I don't need any of these <laughs> translations. But then just like people just like retweeting with different languages, and when it, the original content is in my language, like it's, it's so weird to see, like it's yeah, the the different layers of removal from the idol. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's so interesting. Yeah, the the more K-pop um goes international, the more we see that kind of tension between the domestic market versus the international market, the international fans and the Korean fans. Like the the constant um push and pull between the groups is definitely yeah, it's definitely noteworthy. Yeah, and I'm sure it's different in um, China as well, and in Japan, certainly. You know, like the most popular, or one of the most popular K-pop groups in Japan is still TVXQ, mm. who have almost no profile in, in English or Western Phantom at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they like, I think, chi- and also different K-pop groups have different levels of popularity in China as well. Yeah, because Big Bang, I think, is sort of eternally, like, doesn't, because uh, isn't there even a local name for G-Dragon? Yeah, he is huge in China. He, he has his own um, brand, like fashion brand in China. And yeah, he's he's very big. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, he's, he's popular in the West, but he's not on, like, on our advertisements. <laughs> Yeah, no, he 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 is headlining in in he used to headline a lot of uh, like magazines and stuff in China. Like different different K-pop was definitely received different levels of attention in different countries, which I think is just so interesting. Like what what makes them tick? What makes that group of people tick um, more than more so than others? And yeah, it, it'd be an, that'd be an anthro- anthropological study <laughs> to yeah. conduct. Yeah, the, well, there's so many different angles. And I mean, I think K-pop as a lens or idols as a lens for looking at things is, um, yeah, there's just so many, so many ways you can take it. And I think um, maybe that's a good kind of note to end on um, or at least start wrapping things up. But yeah, I, I wish we saw more writing, um, you know, like you do talking about fandom and sort of the different elements of it. Um, rather than just kind of either, you know, I mean, economics is very interesting for sure. Um, you know, and fan theories can be fun if you're in the fandom, but, um, yeah, I, I wish, I just wish we saw more people take this seriously. Yeah, me too. And I hope that what we're doing is sort of, we're, we're, we're moving towards that, you know, we're raising more talking points for that area. Yeah, and, and I think things like Esther Yee's novel as well, mm. you know, making it um, literary, you know, adding that, that literary element to it. Um, it's just, I don't think you would have seen that, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. 
Oh, definitely. Yeah, I I would say you wouldn't even see that five years ago. I think mm. it's a very new thing, and how she's making it into like a cultural artifact as well. Like the fact that she is talking about it when she's living in Berlin, like she is in in Europe at that time, and then she travels to Seoul. Like all of the um, cultural differences that she is trying to she she is uh, sort of dabbling in you know like she she is she she definitely is treading along the lines of like literary the literary world and also the cultural side of things at the same time and i think that's very it's a good sign i think so too and i'm i'm happy if esther is the face of <laughs> k-pop phantom yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if esther <laughs> and moon are, are the uh are totems you know that's that's okay by me she 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 is so cool. Like I I would want to oh like hear more from her. Like I I wish that she's in more podcasts and stuff. Like, yeah, talk- I couldn't find any social media for her at all. So yeah, maybe she's just locked up in her her tower with, or the, she, with the music professor. <laughs> maybe she just has like many many um Twitter accounts. You know, like one of those like side accounts. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, she's got her side. Yeah, she's got her side stand account, which we don't even know what fandom it is. So we'll just have to guess. <laughs> I think she is deliberately trying to keep that a secret so that people won't judge her on um her like fanning behaviors. <laughs> we'll just have to keep an eye out. Gosh, I really hope Chinese tours this year. Oh. I really hope so too. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe maybe we can meet at a Chinese show. They come. We should meet at a K-pop show. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really want to see Seventeen live. Oh my gosh, they were so good. Um, yeah. I've seen videos and they seem so energetic. Like just four hours of just belting high notes and jumping around, and they're so energetic, and I love it. Like yeah, the the only thing that about the concert that I saw was it, you could definitely tell they were held back by the um, budget because oh. the stage setting, like, because they're at Yokohama Arena, like their um, sort of thrust stage only came out about halfway. And usually when I've seen Idol X there, they use a ramp that goes all the way around the arena. And yeah. so it's, they, they, you know, and they have 13 members. There's a lot of space they could take up. But, yeah. um, and I've seen this problem too with um, K-pop acts when they scale up to like the, um, the very large like Stadium. domes or like the football stadiums. Yeah. Where they just, they, they don't scale up their, um, or they just don't have the budget to scale up their their um, stage settings and, and their performances and stuff. And so it can be a little, um, depending on where you're sitting, can be a little disappointing. But um, hopefully 17, uh, yeah, because they are, they're very, very good. And when they do, um, Achoo Nice. Nice. <laughs> Oh, Adrian is such a hit. It's, it's such a bop, man. Like, I, I feel like people are so hyped up by that song. And yeah, I would love to see that live. I want to see Don Quixote live. Like, that would be such an emotional moment. Like, them talking about, yeah, their lives and their struggles becoming K-pop stars. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah. I feel like every K-pop group has to have 
every idol group has to have that one song so for winner for winner it's um movie star yeah like everyone has that song where it's like they talk about how how their hardships and like their their backgrounds and stuff yeah 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 abcz has a song called supporters and it's all about um you know their their fans um and how they want to support us in return oh that is so sweet that's so endearing yeah yeah no i love them is there a, a txt song that really that they have like that we could end on on something like that they have they have a song written for their fans but it's just it's too upbeat for it to be you know for it to be really emotionally um like resonating with the uh, fans. like move like movie stars so i mean but I, I do like their um they have an unreleased track that you can find on youtube uh it's called sweat and it's them talking about oh i cry every time i listen to that it's so it's such an emotional track like talk about like how much they you know they put in the hard work and yeah it's two of their own um unreleased tracks are very very good and they're, it both talks about how difficult things are when they were trainees and they were struggling to come to terms with debuting and stuff one of them is called sweat and the other one's called blue spring which they just released um at their like they're touring right now so they released that like a month ago um when they opened their tour in seoul it's just yeah very emotionally very emotionally emotional <laughs> it's very deep well why don't we go out on sweat then yeah okay um and did you have any like final words or anything you want to promote other than your excellent substack mm, not at the moment i feel like last words would just be i don't know stan txt <laughs> <laughs> yes stream their latest album but i i don't want to be that fan you know i don't want to be that annoying fan that just constantly um slips that in every single conversation you know just like shoves that into people's face i don't want to be that. <laughs> you can just like subtly promote them by playing their songs I, I i think that's good enough for me i don't want to be like aggressively promoting them um last one will be, will be um support your podcast i think oh. yeah support both of our works in talking about fandom and the idol industry i think it's important that we talk about it it's um currently not getting the spotlight that it deserves and yeah support both of our works yeah well thank you <laughs> and yeah and i think also just remember that you know words have consequences and uh just be kind be kind out there yes. To, yes, to idols and end on rather than self promo. Yes, be kind to each other. <laughs> <laughs> or at least, you know, keep all your snark in your closed DMs. Yeah, and just in general, just be nice to idols as well. They're having a hard time and you never know what they're going through. Yeah. And just yeah, be respectful, be happy, and don't let your fan experience become this ball pit of like negativity you know just make it lighthearted and upbeat and something that you can draw your inspir draw inspiration from yeah 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 pay your taxes don't mortgage your house <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Very good point. Oh, yeah, shining star.